I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. America's voice of reason. Boyd Matheson on Utah's home for elevated conversation. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. As it relates to Ukraine, President Biden has publicly declared on many occasions that the United States and Ukraine are united and would remain united until the day that Russia ends its unjust war. Those are always the headlines. But beyond the headlines, are cracks starting to show in this strategic alliance? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, as always, we want to go beyond just the headlines and get down to what's really going on. And uh, today we're going to do that with Alexander Ward, of course, national security reporter and anchor of the National Daily Security Daily at Politico. And uh, Alex, thanks for joining us again. And a great piece today uh, with your colleague, Jonathan Lemire, uh, talking about some of these little fissures that uh, seem to be developing in the U.S.-Ukraine unity uh, give us a, a little perspective. Obviously, the president has uh, pledged that support as long as it takes, uh, resisting the invasion. What are you starting to hear? What are you starting to sense? What are some of those little areas that are be- may become a little bit troubling along the way? Yeah, I mean, I want to be clear. The, the, still, the headline is that the U.S. and, and uh, Ukraine are remarkably united on in terms of war aims, um, although there's always been differences in times of war. But I, I think the sort of narrative of, you know, that Washington and Kiev are in lockstep just doesn't seem to be as true as it used to be. Mm. One of the things is, you know, the news of a pro-Ukraine group possibly, you know, has, uh, allegedly sabotaging the North Stream 2 pipelines last year. You know, there's no evidence that the Ukrainian government was, government was behind it. But that makes it a little harder, especially for European countries uh, and, and Germany, most notably, uh, to support Ukraine. You've also got the fact that the U.S. and Ukraine have differing objectives in Bakhmut, the city in Ukraine's east. Ukraine is going all out to try to hold it, but the U.S. openly and privately has said it's not strategic enough to expend so many resources. And then you also have a very clear difference, and one that's been in the open for a while, uh, where Ukraine wants to start an offensive to take Crimea, which is the peninsula that Russia, quote-unquote, annexed in 2014, and the U.S. is pretty adamant that Ukraine doesn't have the military capability to take it. So that's just a few of them. Uh, but, you know, you start putting them together and then you notice that, you know, this sort of wall of, of stone of unity does have more cracks in it than it first meets the eye. Yeah. And, and I think everyone is saying, hey, we, you know, we want this to continue to, to work, to move forward. Uh, obviously, getting uh, Russia out of those spaces uh, is important to everybody. Uh, but And tell me how much of this, uh, according to your sources, I know you talked to a number of administration officials, uh, there's always going to be a portion of, of this kind of alliance where some, some armchair quarterbacking is, is bound to come in. How much of it is in that space versus how much of it is really rooted in reality of, hey, is it, is it realistic uh, to be able to, to do Bakhmut and Crimea, uh, et cetera, as we get into spring? 
Well, I think for the first, the U.S. has to be quite humble about what it can expect, uh, what it expects Ukraine to be able to pull off militarily, because there was the belief that Russia could take key within days. Right. And obviously, here we are more than a year later. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think outside of the normal, you know, some mostly Republicans, but some Democrats who feel that the Biden administration has been too cautious in providing weapons to Ukraine, mm-hmm. uh, that it could be providing attack on start training on uh, F-16 fighter jets and other things like that. Um, There are folks within the administration um, who are pushing for a more aggressive policy than is currently being enacted. Uh, A fairly open war between DOD and the State Department has has, has, uh, broken out. And and I say war, I'm I'm emphasizing, but I mean, you know, people at State Route really want more weapons to be sent faster, more advanced weapons than DOD, understandably. Uh, is is worried about how much is in the U.S. arsenal. They worry about potential, you know, future fights for, with, like, say, say with China over Taiwan. So it's a little more reticent to get rid of certain things. And as we've reported Politico before, the U.S. just doesn't have enough attack of these long-range missiles that are a constant flashpoint uh, to provide to Ukraine, really. So there is a lot of armchair quarterbacking, but you, there are strong disagreements even within the administration about what to do. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. So one, just what we're able to do in terms of uh, those weapons uh, and those systems and training and so on. Uh, one of the other things you pointed out in your piece uh, that, that got me thinking and, and I wanted to ask you about was related to this idea of the administration having a clear policy objective, a clear goal uh, in terms of how they move forward. What's the sense there? Again, internally, What does what are those discussions looking and sounding like? I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Well, there really isn't much more definition outside of as long as it takes. No one in the administration has ever articulated anything other than, well, we will basically do what the Ukrainians want to do. Now, what the Ukrainians want to do, or at least their rhetoric is, you know, they want to push Russia completely out of Ukraine. That includes Crimea and that includes the Donbass. Like we've discussed before, there are already differences on those objectives. Then there are those who would say, well, why wouldn't that be the U.S. objective? Um, you know, would the U.S. be fine if Ukraine say, and I'm hypothesizing, say that there was an effective trade of Crimea for the non-Bass? Would the U.S. be okay with that? There are a lot of people in the U.S. who would say that we should have supported Ukraine further to be able to take, uh, push Russia completely out of Ukraine. So this is there's also this agree- disagreement inside the administration where they are, you know, as long as it takes, you know, we'll let Ukraine decide. You know, there's no one is comfortable to come out and say what the U.S. wants, because at the end of the day, it's about what Ukraine wants. So internally, there's still disagreement about what the end game should look like. But, you you know, in private, they'll give you their own thoughts. In public, they'll say, well, it's up to Zelensky. 
Yeah, so interesting. And uh, those uh, behind-doors conversations are always the ones that are so fascinating to me in terms of uh, how that actually starts to create a trajectory in terms of the, the goals of the U.S. policy. Uh, as you look at it and moving towards spring, everyone has had their eye on that, uh, not only in relation to uh, Bakhmut, but to offensive both by Ukrainian forces and offensives surely coming uh, from Vladimir Putin and Russian forces. Uh, how how do you see that beginning to bubble up? And how will some of these little cracks uh, potentially turn into bigger holes or to bigger challenges uh, moving into the spring? Well, I mean, the, the good news is, you know, Russia's offensive has begun weeks ago, or begun weeks ago, and it's a nothing burger so far. Mm. That's not to say that Russia can't come back and do more or conscript more forces or, you know, use even more destructive weaponry. Um, but I think if there's going to be, look, I mean, I think a lot of these cracks, right, I don't want to make too big a deal out of it because I think still the headline is the U.S. and U.K. are, are I mean, excuse me, the U.S. and Ukraine are remarkably aligned. Yes. Uh, that said, on I think Crimea is the big flashpoint. So if Ukraine makes a big play for Crimea, uh, I think the, the Biden administration is in a very tough position because they've openly said they don't think Ukraine can take it. And so it puts them in the position of arming Ukraine even further for a war or for a fight that they said Ukraine can't win or leaving Ukraine alone and then risking the possibility that Ukraine does not win. Um, and so I think, you know, behind the scenes, you're going to and of course, in public, be hearing a lot of messaging about weaning Ukraine off the idea of taking Crimea. It could be a, a feint, by the way. Ukraine initially said they were planning uh, an offensive somewhere. Instead, they went towards the south. Um, so this could be Ukraine saying, hey, we're coming up to Crimea and, and focusing elsewhere. Um, but let's see what happens here. But I, I fear that, uh, or rather say, it, it's starting to seem like while things are good now, the longer this goes on, and we're not sure how long this goes on, you know, these crises start to widen, 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 and then you start seeing uh, the U.S. and Ukraine in, uh, with different objectives. And of course, we could see a different administration here in the U.S., um, mm. that has completely different viewpoint of the level of commitment and, and goals the U.S. should have towards Ukraine. Oh, fascinating. And then just real quick to as we wrap it up, and we do want to be very clear that the the alliance is, is solid and strong. Uh, these little cracks, uh, we're not hoping any of those turn into big fissures, uh, but cracks do tend to, to spread and grow, and they're also important just to have the conversations around them. Uh, and so before I let you go, are there any other of those little cracks that you're just kind of keeping your eye on uh, that might be indicative of uh, kind of the trajectory of the war moving forward? Well, I think one small one is there's a, a good report in the New York Times about how the Pentagon is blocking the transfer of evidence of war crimes and crimes against humanity to the International Criminal Court. Now, the U.S., of course, has made a big thing about Russia has done this, they are committing these crimes, and we are going to help Ukraine make its case as, as such an international tribunal. But if the Pentagon is against it, um, for the main reason that they don't want international courts looking into the actions of U.S. troops uh, abroad, well, then that really hurts that moral case. And if the U.S. isn't helping Ukraine with that anymore, or at least is even an impediment, you know, does that cause uh, a bigger split between Kiev and Washington? I don't know, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, Great insight as always, Alexander Ward, national security reporter and anchor of the National Security Daily at Politico. Alexander, thank you so much as always. Great perspective. Thanks for having me. All right. uh, So many things to to look at there. And I I think Alexander got it right in terms of what will happen next. We'll continue to see a very united front and united messaging 
uh, between Ukraine and the U.S., uh, the sort of as long as it takes approach that President Biden has been touting. But under the surface, under the headlines, uh, there are some of those smaller cracks uh, that are going to become bigger challenges as things go on and the longer things are dragged out. Uh, They're in Ukraine by Vladimir Putin. And so many things to watch. Uh, We have to make sure we keep uh, the alliance strong and focused. I think it's also important for the administration to be ready uh, to communicate more with the American people and with the Congress in terms of what the strategy is, what the end goals are, and what is actually possible uh, to help Ukraine in their fight for freedom. With Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.